welcome to The Mary Mack Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. Hello, my friends, my warriors. This is Mary Mack of the Mary Mack Show. I am privileged today to have Jim Rao with me. He is the um, individual who started Families Against Fentanyl back in 2019. And he did that after his son Thomas died. Thomas is only 37 and he died in 2015. I'm doing a series called Death by Fentanyl. And this is a very powerful topic. And I've invited many people who know the ins and outs of it. And I wanted you to hear from him as well. So Jim, thank you so much for being here today. I know you have a lot to teach us, but I'd like to start by asking you to talk about Thomas's early years when he was growing up, how your family were together. I know he has four siblings. Would you tell us about that? First of all, thank you for having me on, Mary. It's uh, very nice of you. Um, You're welcome. My family life was fantastic. I had uh, five children, the loving wife. Tommy was the oldest. Um, and uh, his sister followed him shortly after being born. I think there were, uh, you know, uh, I think they call them Irish twins. Yes, but, yes, uh, when they're born in the same year, technically, or within a year, yeah, right? Yeah, and then, and then uh, my third was a little was a few years longer, and then the fourth was a uh, few more years, like three years after that, and then the last <laughs> one was four years, you know, long, you know, year after year. It took me, it, and uh, so we had five children. Um, Tom was the leader of all of the kids. He was um, athletic, um, intelligent, healthy, handsome, and um, very uh, free-spirited. Um, we grew up on, he, he grew up on a wonderful street in Akron, Ohio, where there were lots of kids to play with. Um, we had, uh, I, I was self-employed and so, I would take him to work with me um, as soon as I could. And then it made him work, you know, uh, <laughs> once again, as soon as I could. And um, he was adventurous, uh, creative, diligent, wonderful. Um, and we saw nothing but uh, greatness in our futures and, uh, you know, real achievements that we thought that we could do with our inventions and our chemistry and our, our the physics that we were playing with. And uh, he came, you know, after uh, school, you know, he would come to wor work with me while he was still, you know, in uh, middle school. I would, <clears throat> I would take him there even as a, as a child. Um, so he did very well as, with his classmates who socially integrated very well. He loved music. He loved his sisters and brothers. 
and um, he was living the, the life until he uh, got into a rollerblading accident, went to see uh, a doctor, got some, I believe, I, for, I forget which form of opiate that he got initially, whether it was, you know, a Percocet or a, whatever type of... Uh, like a Vicodin or something? Back, yeah, I believe the Vicodin or with. oxycodone. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and then he liked them. And then, <laughs> uh, later on, and, and and later on after that, when uh, he had his teeth done, he got some more of them. You know, but this time, you know, it was close to a year later or so. He went and got another prescription. He liked them a lot, and you know. Um, then a rollerblading accident. I don't know where he started getting the the, uh, the the pills from then, if he went to the doctor, but that one persisted. He started taking them, you know, he liked them an awful lot. And then he, as he was coming to work about that time, he's turning 18 and he, he was working, you know, in the summer times and other with us and his performance, you know, he's like acting strange and, you know, his personality was changing somewhat, his lackadaisical, you know, about his ambitions. And he, he just was different. You know, mm -hmm. I, and I, I knew what it was like to be intoxicated. I mean, I, I, I was no, uh, um, I wasn't dry myself. I was, I was drinking a considerable amount of liquor and had since I was a young man. And, um, you know, I didn't get, I had tried uh, cocaine, but I, I knew that it was, too good to be true mm -hmm. that that's something I would have a hard time putting down and I couldn't afford it with the wife and five kids. Sure. And, you know, but I could see the compulsion in that, you know, a couple little, these people used to have a little uh, pen thing or whatever, and they turn it like a one hitter and they would turn a little knob and it would just a little bit of cocaine would go in there and like a little bullet thing. And they'd snort it up their heads while, while, while we're working, uh, wow. moving machinery or doing different things. That's scary. So they could hurt doing? themselves. <laughs> yeah. What the hell are you doing? It's like, oh, when, when you're moving heavy machinery or doing hard work or different stuff and, and you're getting pooped out, they, they found this stimulant that you could get, you know, at, at the uh, uh, bar and nobody knew what cocaine was. So, I guess, you know, you get some with cocaine or someone to end up with speed or whatever. And that stuff started going around, you know, industrial plants and all over the place. Wow. But once that cocaine came out, people started lacing speed with it and other stuff with it. Yep. And then drugs became much more acceptable. And Tom got into the uh, pills, the Vicodins, the Percocets, et cetera, and then on to Oxycontin. He got oxycontins from a doctor after a, a rollerblading accident, and that was Katie bar the door after that. And he moved on from that to uh, heroin. Oh wow! He spent several years. He, he spent several years as a heroin addict, and lived a life that was uh, productive and um, loving. And he battled it back and forth. Some he'd stay clean for you know fairly long period of time, and then relapse and back and forth. But in the meantime, he had a life. He'd go to take his, you know, his uh, girlfriends to church. He'd go, you know, do all his 
whatever work he could do. He participated. You know, he was a functioning addict. After, um, you know, several several uh, attempts at rehab at all types of different uh, facilities that we put him in, even out of state, he moved to California for a period of time. So he, he would sober up and, and do quite well for, for extended periods of time and then relapse from one, one thing or another, either, um, I, I would say stress is, is a big, uh, pusher towards, towards, you know, relapse, uh, doubt, you know, which causes a huge amount of stress, yeah. you know, uncertainty and, um, the ability to, uh, take a great deal of pleasure you know, say, screw this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to rebel against the norm and I'm just going to take my pleasure to, for myself because I, 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 it's, I have to. And it's a strange compulsive feeling to be that needy for something so selfish. Yeah. You know, it's warping your, your perspective in your, in your brains, you know, in your, in your compulsions are driving your free will. So your free will is no longer so free, you know, and, and you lose it in degradations. And as you and as you degrade your free will and your judgment, you you start to change your personality somewhat, you know, and everything becomes a little bit more self-centered. How am I going to get enough to get my stuff? How am I going to be able to get enough? You know, I can't work enough, but how am I going to get enough money to get the drugs that I need? How am I going to do that trickily? You know, if I, where did all that money go? How What happened to this? You know, and everything gets harder to put together and then you know eventually you find out what's going on and confront it and get clean again and try again you know and each one of these tries was you know some success some failure but during it all there's still life and fun and laughter and everything it's not it's not like uh you're in jail and some type of hell you're trying to work through your problems you're trying to get in control of yourself, you know, you, you, of course you're under stress because you want to quit and people are bugging you to quit. If they know about it, they're up They're really uh, after you to quit. But nobody is at that time is aware that there's a monster out there that's going to come in some back door through some little pill or some little powder and just snuff out your life. Like you're not anything like stepping on a bug. It's nothing. You don't need, there was no, violence, no uh, explosions, no uh, confrontation, no nothing. Just like just like spraying a uh, bug repellent on a bug and killing it. it, it it's, it's cowardly, selfish, and evil. And this, so Tom gets killed this way by a drug dealer who buys acetyl fentanyl from the Zhang drug trafficking organization in um, China directly. And through the great work of the Akron police department, you know, I was out of town in Florida having fun, scuba diving, running up and down the beach. My wife, Valerie was at home. Tommy was at, at home and she had just taken him to see the doctor to get a checkup, you know, 
start working on, you know, his problems again and everything else. He gets out of the car, goes in the house, waves by mom. And then she gets a call saying that uh, he hasn't come out of the bathroom in a few hours Oh wow! from his roommates. So she went over there, got the door open partially, found him dead on the floor and left him. She didn't, she didn't touch him. And right. She went and got the, the paramedics and the police and they did the proper forensics and they got the samples of the drug. Um, he had done enough to kill many, 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 many people of the acetyl fentanyl that was given wow. him. This is a very powerful analog of, of fentanyl. And um, was it in a pill form so, or was it in a different powder? It was in powder form, and Tom thought he was going to do uh, heroin. Okay. He thought he was going to shoot up a little bit of heroin. He's getting ready to go back into rehab. Looked like heroin. Thought it was got it from somebody that he knew. And this fellow had bought it from the Zeng Drug Trafficking Organization through the mail um, from China. And with the excellent work of the Akron Police Department, the DEA, and the Justice Department, they put together a case and indicted the Zangs in 2018 for Tom's murder and a, another Akronite. Wow. And so they went to the Ministry of Justice. They flew to uh, the Ministry of Justice in China and Matt Cronin and uh, the DEA, um, his name will come back to me in just a minute, uh, went there, prosecute, prosecuted the Zangs for three days. No, and the Zangs had operated a distribution center in uh, New England where they were shipping it all over the United States. Oh, my. So, the, so the, the, uh, the guy that was running that operation was almost made it to Canada. So they caught him there. The, Zang, the Zangs were not in the country. And we went over and prosecuted the Zangs. I mean, we, the United States. I didn't go. And the um, after three days of deliberation, the Ministry of Justice set the Zangs free. So 60 Minutes goes over. Bob Anderson goes over at 60 Minutes and he confronts Dr. Zang in the in the marketplace and says, what do you say to the children in the United the, to the parents of the children in the United States that you're murdering? <laughs> uh, and at that time, Bob Anderson gets accosted by the uh, Chinese secret police and run out of the country Whoa. his visa taken away and he's expelled from the country so the Zangs are now in Mexico mass producing fentanyl along with the cartels and um, as a example I have sued the Zangs in Akron Municipal Court and have a judgment against them and I'm trying to uh, concoct a way to turn it into a class action suit and implicate the Chinese government. Ooh. So I can take all, I can take all of the parties like myself and tie them into a class action suit and go after the, the money that the treasury can sanction from the government of China for the hell that they've unleashed on us. That's just a tactic. I don't know if it'll work. I'm not after the money, but I, sh I know that's what they were after. And that's all they cared about. I'll burn that money before I let those sons of devils have it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, understand. Wow. So, um, 
when after that i i studied uh fentanyl and what its implications could be um my background is in polymer science so i already knew that hey this stuff is made out of you know the same stuff pretty close to epoxy or to you know all these different chemicals polyurethane for certain you know and um it was uh pretty evident that there was there, there was no limit to the amount that could be made and distributed and as i saw this unfolding i saw that exactly what's happening and i looked for solutions to stop this and i was walking down the railroad tracks with my older brother who's my partner he says you need to you need to call a weapon of mass destruction i sort of laughed at him and he says no i mean it it's god damn I wish he'd never told me that. So, it, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, that's that was all his role was. He didn't have to do any more work. Just come up with a bright <laughs> idea. <okay? laughs> hey, partner, thanks. Hey, hey, let's 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 uh let's let's go to the moon. Okay, you build a rocket. Okay, got it. So, so um. I began to investigate it and I looked at the uh, law, the power and the effect that this could possibly have. And I thought this is a great way to jump ahead, you know, to, to cut out a lot of time and to save a lot of lives because we can cut this material off at the source. It's not being generated here in the United States. It's coming in from from off of our borders through this through this known route that we can stop and we can, but they didn't want to take that responsibility or that duty for people they still saw as complicit in their own deaths and um, misbehaving and being invaluable, not valuable. Right unworthy of, of their attention because of this high amount of stigma that's associated with drug addiction. But this is killing people that have no drug addictions whatsoever. And it creates the fastest onslaught, onslaught onset rather of drug addiction of any of, of any of the opioids that have ever been introduced. So you have a chemical that's designed to do what it's doing. And, and you know, the Chinese in the opium wars, got to the point where they went and slaughtered their own addicts on the waterfronts. They, they, you know, uh, the English got in a fight with them and then started blowing them up and they had the opium wars. And that's how the, um, the saying came for all the tea in China, because they were, they were pushing the opium over to the West because of the, uh, tea trade and um they wanted the tea for you know england wanted the tea and sort of the rest of the world and so they brought opium to the china in order to extort the tea really uh and, and it devastated china they went from being the world leader global world leader to number three within i think it was like 50 years or so wow so it, it took them right out of position. So here we have the 21st century opium war. And they think that, you know, this is tit for tat. You know, you did it to us, you know, gives us 
our justification to do it to you. And, you know, um, you have a civilization there or a society that's extremely uh, family strong, loving, kind, uh, socially active, uh, just a wonderful people. The Chinese people are gracious. Um, they're generous. They're communal. The government is a total different animal of, of rough and uh, yes. disdainful and um, steely in many ways evil. So you have a, a, a whole people of billions enslaved by a iron fist. Mm. And this iron fist is uh, indoctrinating people to a belief that, that, that there should be followers. And you, we're, we're facing a uh, nexus in the, on the planet that's um, this fentanyl is just the tip of the iceberg, but it's the telltale of what will come. So we have this mass fentanyl poisoning that's already killing more people than killed in Vietnam and World War II. It, it, it's it's um, I don't destroying think people all understand. The, I don't think people understand the magnitude. They don't understand magnitude because it's not it's not being spoken of this is this is the quiet thing yeah you can't get abc news you know i was on 60 minutes i've gone back to 60 minutes four or five times come on let's do another story right they're no, scared they, don't, they are and they don't want to talk about it they're scared they're scared they're scared they're scared that once again maybe they're afraid that i might inspire somebody to do something stupid but listen if, if chances are one in a million it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. That's a fact. You know, I, I, within so many years, I think it's 12 years of its chance in a million is going to happen within 12 years. Or wow. There are all types of, of mathematical facts that points to this is how the likelihood is going to, going to happen, going to happen, going to happen. And we don't need to put up with this for generations Right. As we sort our way through and say, oh, we don't need another war on drugs. We need a war on this poison. Okay. What happened to your war on drugs is you you gave up. You shouldn't have given up. We wouldn't be facing this right now if you would have fought the war on on, on uh, drugs properly. If you'd have stayed on course. But instead... You think, oh, everything's okay and people will take care of this or whatever. And then you get the mega drug and look at all this. The the devastations beyond anything that the country's ever seen. The amount of money lost is, is unfathomable, but the broken hearts are, are they're, they're a shame. They're a shame for our country to allow this to happen to our citizens. They should be ashamed of themselves, especially since they knew that this could happen. They should have known, they should have stopped it, and they could have done it years and years ago. And I'm not blaming one party over another. They're both aware. They've both been in power during the start of this and up until now. And the people who are have the real say, the military and everything else, they're sitting on their hands. 
They're remiss in their duties, and they know that this is a potential, and they can stop it. But I wonder what that'll cost. Nothing compared to the, to the trillions and trillions of dollars of life of, that's lost. And if you were just looking at it mathematically, the, you know that loss of gross domestic product would pay for the a golden uh, vessel to go interdict the material. You know, th there's there's nothing that that's uh, more valuable than what we're losing. So I'm fighting to enlighten people that these are the mathematical facts that the poison's becoming more prevalent. And as that, as that happens, the rate of incidence goes up. And this is just a, a, a simple known thing that we're, we're coming to an intersection point. And, you know, people who are familiar with asymmetric warfare will point this out as the first key to, to the, um, advancement of asymmetric warfare. Misinformation, poison the public. Spread addiction, spread disease. And we're, they've already done two of those. COVID and and uh, the uh, fentanyl, I think, are both um, asymmetric warfare. So I would, I, I, I would agree with that. I would totally agree with that. And they talk about having another bug coming soon, you know, and of course, where, where will that be? And it's all intentional. Yes, it's intentional. And, and they and I believe they want to wipe out not only the entire population, but first and foremost, um, the young people who you know, they think they can just party, you know, they think, oh, let's just take this pill and, you know, have a good time. And it's not like years ago where you could, you know, take a little of this or a little of that and you were still standing, but now you try that now and you could die within hours or instantly. Yes. For what? For all the things you could have been, all the things you were working on, what what and what you meant to everyone. Yes. There's more neurons. There are more neurons in your head than there are stars in the universe, and yeah. each one of those is more complicated. You know, <laughs> and and one of, one one of the one of the things that people don't understand is that all the information that you bring or have or do lasts forever because information can't be destroyed. So your life and your and what you become throughout your whole life and everything else and you die, that thing that was you, that information of every single thing about you goes on forever and ever and ever. That's a that's a matter of physics. That's a fact. So whatever people's conceptualization of soul is or whatever, you have meaning, meaning eternally. Yes. Because you existed. And you can't unexist. No matter what, you can't exist. You can die and change your form and do whatever, but you, your existence and your and your power and your energy will persist throughout the universe forever. So it's a unique point of view, and I, I you know I'm a strong believer in God. I hope He has a you know something besides a, you know a hello and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> As am I, I believe, well, um, I've spoken to so many people who have had near-death experiences, 
you know, and they all basically mm -hmm. tell you the same thing. They went to the light. And once they got there, you know, God, whomever said to them, uh, sorry, not your turn yet. <laughs> Go back. You have more things to, to accomplish. Yeah, right? we're just giving you, we're just giving you we, we a little taste. <laughs> it's just a little taste. Yeah. Well, give it a, a taste to she, look she, at it. Yeah. Pete was on the sauce. Yeah. <laughs> And so go back, tell everybody what you saw and uh, keep going. You got extra to do. So right. when you, and I can also tell you that when my Nana was dying, I'll never forget this. She sat up in bed and she said, oh, I never thought it would look like this. It's so beautiful. And she died oh, like within geez. minutes later. Yeah. So that's all we got out of her. I don't know really what the rest was, but just the thought that she said that out loud and to let us know. And I have to tell you, it's quite comforting. <laughs> you know, uh, my father called me to his room. He was 46 years old. He, he looked at Ooh, me he'd been going through this religious experience, religious experiences. He looked like he was in great shape. And he, he called. He, he uh, looked at me. He said, uh, "I'm going to fulfill my uh, quest, my my search." He said, "I'm going to die now. I'm going. I'm going to go to heaven. I miss you. Uh, you know." I, he said, "I love you." And I'm like, "What?" You know, he's sitting on the edge of the bed, and then he he, uh, he started dying. I said, "What the? Are you kicking around?" So I I went and got my brother and we both worked on him, but he died of what may have been, you know, uh, probably it was probably just a massive heart attack of some sorts. Boom. Um, but he wasn't and, ill. Uh, he wasn't ill. No. Oh my goodness. That must He'd have been a real shocker. This, it was real. It was, uh, it changed everything for me. Of course I had to, my brother and I switched our plans and we went in, we were already working with him full time, but uh, we had to support our little sisters and brothers and my mother. And uh, then uh, some, just uh, about six months later, I married my wife. Aww. And we had a little kid, Tommy, right away. So I just turned 21 when I had Tommy and uh, we were uh, extremely close. Extremely close because he stayed. He was, you know, my first kid. Where I was just turned twenty-one. I threw him in bed with me all the time. Like, come on, you know, I was just a kid myself. You know, <laughs> oh boy, somebody gave me somebody my own personal friend to play with. Here, let me teach you everything I know. It was, it was wonderful. Will you? But, will you touch on just a little bit about your grieving process after Tommy died? Uh it was avoided. I, I, um, took care of other people's grief. Yep. I, uh, man tried to manage the, um, uh, my other four children, my wife, the extended family, you know, keep all that in control. And then, um, I just, uh, after that, I just started, you know, the ceremonies over, everything's done. And then, you know, I just started drinking more heavily, drank uh, a lot and didn't take care of myself. 
so I was deteriorating down to, you know, uh, just uh, health got worse and worse and worse. I, I had been, I'd been, uh, you know, pretty physically fit as a young man and mm -hmm. um, was able to do, you know, whatever pretty much that I wanted physically. If I, you know, I could climb any kind of tree or, you know, ski or just any, any physical sport or activity box, all types of different things. And then after Tom died, I gained an excessive amount more weight, drank a, a tremendous amount more and got in terrible shape to the point where, you know, later on I had to have five stents put in my heart. Oh, wow. I lost 50, I, I lost 50 pounds. Um, I quit drinking and um, I can do just about anything. I have a torn rotator cuff that I didn't have fixed, but I can do chin-ups and, you know, what? I can run and I can do all, you know, young man kind of stuff. Flips off the diving board, things like wow, that. Wow, that's but wonderful. I know. It's it's um, a gift. It was a gift given to me, I believe, because so, so I could be empowered enough to do this work. I so I, I regained my I regained my uh, physical abilities, you know, besides, you know, things that are just torn off or destroyed from past mishaps. But, uh, you know, um, you know, I have some permanent injuries, but overall, um, I was reconditioned in order to uh, take on this fight. It's what I believe. Mm -hmm. And it'll probably, you know, Kill me right after I'm done. No, no. <laughs> oh, no. Don't say that. that. That's, it. That's the end of you, man. That's before you get started some other crap. But there's so you know that, you know, much. God knows, I'll, God knows I'll go back to making trouble. <laughs> so when it's successful. And I, I do believe it will be successful. And... um it may not come out exactly the way I want it, but I, I think that um, with enough voices like ours together, and all the you know, Michael Gray, uh, Jaime Puerta, uh, Matt Capaluto, right. all of all of those people that are working on this uh, together, you know, but separately, uh, Andrea Thomas. Yeah, there's just so many of them. They're doing really, really good work trying trying to. Uh, change things for other people yes they're like they're like angels you know that saw the angels but they're they're angels and um i, I super appreciate all the all the different uh, angles that they take and perspectives that they have because it's going to take all of us you can't you know you have to have influence in so many ways you know, yes. to get so many ears to listen. There's little keys to each one. And maybe an inflection or maybe a certain way that somebody has to says something that, you know, allows them to accept it a little bit easier. You know, if it comes from a friendlier voice or if it comes from one that's, you know, more like your own or, or whatever, it, it sometimes pushes aside the uh, preconceptions of, of what we're fighting against. And you mentioned you got a um freedom of information act um yes the freedom of information act um we'd actually seen the document that came in the freedom of information act from the 
DHS that was leaked to, to task and purpose some time ago about Jim McDonald and the FBI meeting about uh, fentanyl as a weapon of mass destruction, uh, which it is, and they know what it is. Um, what's really interesting about it is they served the, the FOIA with just the one piece of paper that's the a memo from Jim McDonald that was already leaked, but they didn't have any of the emails or any of the other things in the file that should have been there. What the wow. follow-up was, what, what the people were saying during the meeting, what the responses were, what emails went between the different departments, everything else that should have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of discussion with the FBI. Well, how would this be? Well, how, what would happen with the, with the military? All the different things all gone. Just one piece of paper is all they sent. Wow. <laughs> how interesting. <And> the, <laughs> yes. How interesting. It's because of their reaction. Now, I know that uh, DHS has a model of fentanyl being deployed as a weapon of mass destruction. I had a friend of mine tell me that for some time now. You know, and there, there are all kinds of ex-DHS people running around that have all kinds of information and know all kinds of different things about whatever. I don't know what they know, but I know that they know something. And, which is not um, good. Which is not good. Good. Not good. They're, they're, all, running around, they're all running around scared. And um, there were some really uh, interesting groups like uh, Credo, uh, Citizens Response, for drug overdose, excellent, excellent group. Um, another one is Taco, which is team awareness company, but uh, but that used to be Trojan Awareness, and that was USC and UCLA, and that was their um, Narcan and fentanyl test strip distribution to the students to save their lives. Oh my! And that has taken off. And that has taken off to all types of different universities. So uh, that organization was successful, and that was put together by a couple of neuro uh, scientists at USC and uh, a brother and sister who, who had set that up originally. And now they can go on and you can get fentanyl test strips. You can get um, Narcan. You can get, you know, whatever, just by little apps on your phone that they set set this up. And it's saving tons and tons of life. That's great. And in spite of in spite of all this good work, you know, people with Narcan information, they're saving tons and tons of lives. I mean, they're saving hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lives. They're, they're, this is going on daily. Narcan being delivered every night by these first responders. Something here, boom, 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 boom. Wow. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of them falling here, there, everywhere, all over the place. And they're saving them. The, the impact would be so much worse without it. So, so much worse. And that's, you know, that's another thing. It's, it's when, when does, when does this go beyond, you know, what all, what all the epidemiological results would be? When does that, when does that epidemiological result really start breaking loose? I think it's pretty soon. I think we're, we're not, we're not that far away from, you know, seeing that real mass casualty events, either through incidental exposure or on purpose. This is going to infiltrate the air, food, or water supply, no matter what. 
I'm afraid of it getting anywhere from it shows up in a potato chip company because there's no security and they throw it in the salt or it, it gets it, it gets into, you know, any form of, of food, water and air, you know, both of them that can be emulsified and put in the water system. And recently they've come out with um, sewage uh, testing that shows the amount of fentanyl that's in the wastewater. And this number is growing at a staggering number. Wow. So municipalities are starting to put these testing devices in. To sh I think the first one's in Virginia. They're showing New York City. There's going to be different ones put into different places to show how this is exploding in different areas. People don't even know they're getting it. And that's what's even going to be worse. It's the, like, well, what, why, you know, what do I need? What, what do I need? What's wrong with me? Yeah. You know, I, I just don't, I'm just, uh, my chemistry just keeps going around in my head and the, and the, the things that I've seen in my life and the, and the, how evil could be turned into such an immediate action without any fire explosions, lights, noise, nothing. It's just, it just goes quiet. And that's, that's what I'm, you know, and as I said, and if they, if it gets that radical or something goes crazy and you have people who are say, saying they're from, let's say, uh, they take, they, they do a uh, attack and they say, we're from Black Lives Matter. But they're not, or they're saying they're from the Proud Boys or, or they're from a, a left wing group, a right wing group, a, a, a whatever. Yeah, but it's they not. They say that's who that's who's doing it. But they didn't have anything to do with it. Just blame it on them. Yeah, sure. You can blame it on anybody. You know, and just start chaos because it's it's there. I mean, how and so many people know chemistry. So I, it's the um, opportunity. You know, the motivation. Are both there so it's what we have to it's what unfortunately we have to face and for me i i think that there are solutions um if you uh look at uh, the uh, dhs mql master question list where they go through the dangers of fentanyl the dhs has written this document for first responders to say what happens if fentanyl gets released they're well aware of, of the dangers of this mm-hmm you know, um, so they're just, um, they need the uproar of the brokenhearted. Yes. To, to change their minds. They have to take the proper action. And we have the military might. We have the intelligence. We can cut off their money supply. We can cut off their chemical supply. We can cut off their air. No, we can but, make we can make this stop. But they have to be willing to do it. They have to be willing to do it, and they have to be willing to do it continuously. And it, it, you'll save trillions and trillions of, of dollars a year, and just in the heartache, they don't have one clue about what that's doing to our gross right. domestic 
gross domestic product. Yes. You know, people can't do, when you lose somebody, you can't do stink. You have a hard time putting your slippers on. It's true. <laughs> I don't think, you know, um, I don't think there's ever been a really true accounting, so to speak, in HR. Uh, there you go. Uh, we both were freezing. <laughs> I don't think that there's ever been a, a true accounting in any HR department that talks about the, um, you know, how difficult it is to be productive after you've lost someone, especially a child. You know, they don't talk about these things that much. They send you off to a little, you know, counseling group and you're supposed to be okay very shortly. And then it's all about you just getting back to work and that's it. <laughs> and life doesn't go like that. Life doesn't work like that. And the managers have no clue how to help their employees. None. I've lost friends and family. Uh yeah. I've seen things that I've seen things that make your socks roll up and down, but uh, nothing, nothing destroys your um, self or your family, like the loss of a of a child or you know a yeah. young sibling or whatever. It, it it's just not uh, acceptable for your body and your mind and everything else and it's mm -hmm. it uh definitely changes you and there's a great deal of trauma and i i pray for everyone that has to go through that i think that you know i i believe in god because the things are just too mysteriously fantastic for, for it to be self-causing so it, i i just uh you know of course i've had a you know, went to a catholic grade school with uh dominican nuns Oh, so okay. I, I went to Catholic schools too, all the way through high school and then Jesuit two colleges. Okay. So you know I exactly mean, what I'm talking Oh, about. yeah. Oh, those, Jesu <laughs> those Jesuits were hard dudes. Oh, I know. Were, those so guys I tall, had them an man. undergraduate and I had them when I went for my MBA. Yeah. <laughs> They're tough. I love them though. I, I still have good friends who were priests. He's a, he was the uh, counselor at the jail is what he deserved to. <laughs> but you have to remember that all these priests, unfortunately, whether they're in grade school or the nuns or or the, you know, the um, the Jesuits, none of them know what it's like to lose a child. No, none of them know what it's like no. to lose a spouse. Right. No, right? no, exactly. And, they don't know and that, because of it, and they don't know the, and they they've sacrificed the love of of having that. I'd rather have loved than lost than never have loved at all. That's I most agree. certain. And I honestly, agree. God, I'd rather have Tommy for that amount of time than you know than not have him at all, not have to know him or go through it. And you know what? It, and what unfortunately, it into, I what mean, they can be great people, but sometimes they say the stupidest things. <laughs> unbelievable yeah i mean the, you're supposed the, uh, to know how to comfort somebody in that zone and they don't <laughs> no they don't no not a chance no. <laughs> it's, 
just uh, it'd be better just say, hey, if you want, instead of that collar, why don't you come over here and let me get these around you here? How's <laughs> 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 that? Yes, yes, I know. It's been so. Yeah. Um, we're we're in a uh, solvable problem that we don't have to live with. This doesn't have to go from fentanyl to the nitazines to the to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, you know. And the people screaming about war on drugs. This isn't a war on drugs. This is a war on murder. These kids are getting murdered. Yep. You know, if they would have if they wouldn't have surrendered in the war on drugs, maybe we wouldn't be fighting this right now. You know, if they hadn't given up, surrendered. Right. So that's just a different perspective you they permitted it with their and this is still being permitted this isn't a matter of incarcerating black people they're getting killed at the highest rate by far it's even under even as underreported as it is so it's picking on the slow on the disadvantaged and the people who are already being uh marginalized they're the first they're the first to go those who have substance use disorder, those who are poor, those who are needy, those are the ones getting killed the fastest. And then you have the higher class people who are, you know, recreational drug users. That that's a much smaller percentage. Right. We're we're, we're we can't continue. We have to fight it, and we have to. Everyone has to raise their voice, not to some. Uh, crazy polymer scientist, you know, <laughs> trying trying to push some uh what seems like a untenable idea of a weapon of mass destruction. But I it wasn't for me to choose titles. I had to go to the law books and say, which which one can I insert in order to get something accomplished? And this is the one I saw that would be the most effective and be the le the least amount of equivocating or or uh, I should say uh, uh, cheating. They like to they like to you know uh, not do the whole job. They like to they they prefer to not be held accountable. You know this is something that has to be finished, right? Not toyed with. Well, uh, how many times have you heard like I? uh about oh let's do a, another research study <laughs> right oh we have to do another research study to see how this I, will all come uh, out and i'm sitting around going uh we already know the issue we already know the problem we don't have to research damn thing we need to get it done i i totally agree and um you know, more information is is always good, especially when you're going downstream and you're trying to figure out what to do with the damaged people that have been affected by this. You know, they can study that for quite a long time. Right. But right now we're against the clock. And all this argument and everything else, we're just getting closer and closer to what I know is coming. And so do they. Because if it's a probability, if it's a possibility over time, the longer the time goes, the greater the, the greater the ability for the incident to occur. Right. So, as I said, one in a million is going to happen within I, I, within twelve years or something like that. But it might be in twelve seconds. 
you know, it's within that span of time. Right. The incident will take place depending on incident count. So you know that there's a window of where this is going to happen, but you don't know where in that window it's going to happen because of the randomness of the of the act. But you know what's going to happen. So that's how they can calculate, you know, probabilities of events. And this probability event calculation comes out extremely badly. Oh, my. Well, Jim, I have to say I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, <laughs> even though it's depressing. <laughs> but but it's so necessary because people don't understand the magnitude of this, you know? No. I mean, years ago, a- when we were growing up, everybody tried drugs recreationally. Oh, let's see how this feels. Let's take this joint. Then let's try Coke. Let's do this. Now, all it takes is once, you know, all it takes is once. Yes. And and if you take a pill that's either completely fentanyl, that looks like the oxycodone you thought you were getting, or it's, you know, a couple of granules is stuck in your line of Coke or in heroin. Next thing you know, that's it. And you didn't yes. even know that that was going to happen. It wasn't on your radar. And so I find, I find that in speaking to all my guests on this series, um, if there's anything that I want people to understand is that the, and I've said this several times, the era or the years of um, experimental drug use is over. It's over. And you you either get that or you don't. And if you don't get that and you still feel compelled to feel free enough to go after whatever it is you think you're getting that you're not, um, you're putting yourself at the danger of dying. You know, I mean, right. It's Get like nothing, it's nothing in between, you know, nothing in between. In so many cases, that's true. But the people who are using, they, they can get test grips and they can and they can look out after themselves, do it when they're together, keep the Narcan around. You know, you have people that have such substance use disorder that they're living in tent cities in this horrible, terrible, um, it's not like hell, but a purgatorial life. It's like being in purgatory. Oh, my. Not quite in hell. <laughs> You're not quite, not quite there yet. Jeez. And they're, you know, taking a risk every time they're doing it and they want to get to the edge. You know, that's where your free will, your free will has been compromised by this uh, poison to where it compels you to take risks with your own life that your own, your own body would tell you not to do. There's nothing else that does this, that breaks your free will to the point where your compulsions override your, your ability to withstand it. And that's what people can't understand. Why can't they just quit? God dang, man. It's not a monkey on your back. It's a flamethrower. Wow. So we'll hopefully we'll take the right courses, do the right moves, and hope to God that the politicians and the, uh, you know, I, I would think that just the people in the military would step up and tell the people in charge, Listen, we've got a national security problem here. We need to take care of this in the in the most uh, 
upfront manner and put and let our adversaries know that we're not going to permit this because if if we, if we thought that the former terrorist attacks sent the ripples through the country that they did especially 911 this this is not this is going to be I just, I, I, we can't allow it. We can't allow this to happen to our country. And we, should, we won't, I pray. So thank you for what you're doing. All the little lives and innocence and different things, the effect that'll have a ripple out there for you. And uh, I, I really appreciate you putting this on and doing this kind of work and gathering this information. And I thank it'll, you. It'll, it'll make a huge amount of impact later on. Yeah, I think so too. And I appreciate you being with me well, today. My pleasure meeting you. Have a great night's sleep. <laughs> and, and I'll send you. Um, yes, I want you to send me okay, the links. Thank you. I want you to send me the links um, and we'll put them okay. at, at the show notes. Uh, and I want people to remember to go to Families Against Fentanyl. Is it .org, I think? Uh FamiliesAgainstFentanyl.com, I believe. Maybe it's .org. No, it's .org. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> and we'll, we'll put, we'll put Jim's Thank info. goodness for my staff. <laughs> <laughs> it's late. It's late. That's our Yeah. 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 yeah I'm old. <laughs> okay. And if you... Um, if this has been impactful to you, please share this video with others. Let them know what is going on and subscribe and comment and let us know what you thought and how you feel about this whole issue. We really appreciate it. So thank you well, again. Go on my website and sign the petition. Yes. Just for fun. Yes. So familiesagainstfentanyl.org. And yes. uh, there is a petition the that petition. you can sign. Yes, to get the politicians to do what they need to do. Yes. Thank you. Have a wonderful Thank night. You. Thank you. God you bless. Too. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. It's my pleasure meeting you. You too. Thank you. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye.